0: <laughs> just
1: drop your phone in the middle of the song pitter patter pitter patter pitter patter pitter patter pitter and Married to Who spinoff, in which me, Jake, and my brother Alex watch classic Doctor Who in whatever order we want. This week, we're joined by producer Terry. Say hi, Terry. Hello. And this week, we are continuing our journey through all of the classic companions with Victoria. Victoria Waterfield, I think is her last name. Um, With these companions that we're doing, our goal or plan is to watch their first story and their last story. Now, with Victoria, we can't watch her first story, because it's Evil of the Daleks doesn't exist. So instead, we're watching the very next one, Tomb of the Cybermen, and her final story, Fury from the Deep. Now, as ever, we don't really deep dive into the companions. We will talk about the stories one by one, and then afterwards talk about the companion, just kind of in general. And about the actor and kind of what they their story was on the show. Um, but kind of on the surface. We don't really deep dive into it. There's other podcasts for that. Companion piece, for example. Go check them out. So, as I said, this week we're going to be watching Tomb of the Cybermen and Fury from the Deep. Let's get cracking. Tomb of the Cybermen. Alex, as has become tradition, I want you to guess out of the 156. Classic Doctor Who stories, where Tomb of the Cybermen falls in the fiftieth anniversary Doctor Who magazine poll.
0: I'm gonna say
2: sixty-two.
0: Terry, you got a guess?
2: I'm gonna go with fifty-four. Close, but you're way off. Sixteen.
1: Oh my gosh! The top twenty. Um, and then if you add in all the modern or New Who stories, it's number 23 out of, I think, at that point, 241 when the 50th anniversary happened. Uh, Tomb of Cybermen, written by Kit Pedler and Jerry Davis, or Gary Davis, directed by Morris Berry, aired September 2nd through the 23rd, 1967. Terry, microphones in front of your mouth. What'd you think of this one?
2: I enjoyed it a lot. It was really... Fun to watch the doctor um, just dealing with these explorers and finding a Cybermen hold, (laughs) or stronghold, (laughs) essentially, and, like, being surprised and just seeing all the twists and turns and seeing all of the graphics that they had at that time. Graphics? Yeah, like the thawing of the Cybermen. They just... That wasn't graphics. Well, I, I'm sorry. They the just... reverse picture of freezing. I thought it was really well done um, for what they had. I'm going to edit all that down, to I liked it. I liked the doctor. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alex, what do you think? I liked it. Uh, the, the effect with the, the cellophane was cool because they showed it a million times, but it was really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of Cybermen, actually. Like, it was deep into the second episode when you finally see the fake one or something. And so that was kind of neat. So it was like a slow burn kind of build up thing. Uh, I thought that was cool. Oh, yeah. And I hated the, uh, the, the asshole archaeologist. That's it. Like, the asshole archaeologist guy was, was annoying. Only one guy
1: was an archaeologist. That guy was just like the money yeah. He wasn't trying to discover something.
0: He was an asshole. <laughs> but anyway, uh, what did you think? I had a good time. Um, you know, it's
1: considered by fans to be a classic. So I I had high expectations going in. I've seen it before, but a long time ago. Um, but it was good. I like, I like kind of like the pairing off of everybody, even though it's pretty small. There's like three rooms and then you know, the underneath, there's enough for everyone to do, um, except for Victoria. (laughs) But there's also like a lot of jokes. It's really funny. And you don't think about that when you think of this story, because it's the scary Cybermen one. But there is a lot of goofing off. And a lot of it was just kind of us making jokes while watching it because there are some dumb things like, especially with the hatch. I'm trying to remember full disclosure we watched this like a month ago <laughs> and it's taken us a while to get together to record but um like deciding when to like open the hatch to let someone out or to when to be like well they're just stuck down there we can't open the hatch or we're all gonna die it, there's just a lot of like logic flaws and they were funny yes yeah. which is especially fun in an episode where one guy is from like the league of logicians who's <laughs> like entire Thing is logic. We'll get into all that. Uh, so let's talk about the story first. Um, Doctor and crew land on Telos, which is the Cybermen's second planet. There had been planned in the original 10th Planet script for there to be a line about the Cybermen having colonized another planet. Okay. But it got cut. But then... We've since seen the Cyberman again in Moonbase. So this is... You know, if you count the 10th planet as a second Doctor story, because he does show up at the end, then this is already the third Cyberman story for the second Doctor. They are clearly, you know, intended to be the Dalek replacements at this point. Evil of the Daleks was intended to be, like, the final Dalek story. Like, there's even, like, an Emperor Dalek who gets defeated, and that was supposed to be it. It wasn't... Or they weren't intended to like ever be on the show again. And they wouldn't be for a while. But uh yeah, Cybermen are coming back and often, and spoiler alert for next time, we're watching a Cybermen story again.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I'm fine. I like the the visuals of the Cybermen. They're they're neat. Mm-hmm. They're they're cool. I almost like for classic, I almost enjoy watching the Cybermen more than a Dalek because the Cybermen can emote with its limbs and like you can kind of tell what it's gesturing to and doing whereas a Dalek just shivers and like the little eye stock goes (laughs) up and down you can't like it's sometimes hard to watch scenes where it's just Daleks whereas if you watch scenes where it's just Cybermen you're like oh it's like people having a conversation but long scenes which happens in classic of
1: all decades just long scenes of either the Cybermen or the Daleks just talking are the worst. Yeah. Especially in this era when the Cybermen are incomprehensible. You cannot understand they, what they're saying. They need to bring that modulation back. Like, it is right. thick. Can you imagine having, like, a 1966 TV with 1966 speakers trying to figure out what the fuck that thing is saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh. So, yeah, I was going through the plot. I made it to... Telos. <laughs> uh yeah they land on Telos. us they run into a crew who are about to detonate a mountainside to get into this tomb and they're like oh look there it is they get up there and the doctor like helps him open the door but he's got a bad feeling because there's like a giant cyberman face painted on the wall yeah which would is ridiculous <laughs> yeah so the writers um Kit Peddler and Jerry Davis, they're both kind of obsessed with um, ancient Egypt. They're both like big history buffs in that area. So they're once they kind of got paired together, you know, Kit Peddler being the scientist guy who created the Cybermen. They're like, oh, let's do a tomb like mummy story with the Cybermen. So they're putting these paintings on the wall to be like Egyptian pyramids. But like Egyptians put that stuff on the wall to tell their story. The Cybermen would never need to do that. They wouldn't like put a picture of a Cyberman to be like, this is where the Cybermen live. They'd be like, yeah, we know we're, we're all the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't know. It just seemed really weird to me.
0: Yeah. It's kind of weird. But did they ever go over what that base was? Like, is it just a base or is it a hibernation like hive or what is it? Like, did they actually figure that out? Yeah. Cause it had, it had the hive in the basement. Yeah. They purposely went to sleep. Yeah. And also the, that team that they ran into, they said multiple times that, oh, the Cybermen are dead now. Was that based off of just the Moonbase incident? So this is this is mm-hmm. that same relative history period, but later? Right. Yeah, I think it's in the future.
1: I don't know how far. I don't think it really matters how far. But I think that the Cybermen, like humanity is aware of the Cybermen, just like they were in the Moonbase. base. Okay. But they think they're all gone right and so in the moon base it's like oh this is like a a rogue ship that that was looking for somewhere to colonize and then yeah and the Mondas got destroyed so they're like stranded and then they also want to take revenge on the humans so oh. i i don't know if they those were telosian cybermen or what but uh so yeah the rest of the plot is shit goes wrong they're in a Cybermen too doughy
0: Get a shift on. (laughs) My favorite character out of the uh extra cast is that giant man. (laughs) Toberman? was that his name? Toberman? Toberman. But yeah, he was wearing children's clothes, (laughs) just jacked out of his mind, and he was there to just lift heavy things. It
1: was crazy. So every everything I listen to or read about this story complains about like the inherent racism and having the one black guy be the big dumb strong guy Mm. um and we we didn't see evil the daleks but it's apparently the second story in a row where there's one black guy and he's mute and strong oh and so it's like becoming an issue oh okay so yeah toberman school that actor actually went on to do a lot of stuff he's uh you know big strong handsome dude like, if he has any acting talent, he's going to be successful. Hell yeah. Yeah, we'll get into the individual characters. Tell me what you like or didn't
0: like about the story. I I don't know. Terry, you could go first. Let me think about it.
2: <laughs> um, I liked that they uh, kind of split off into groups, um, the doctor's crew and the archaeologists, and started exploring this whole area where you had, like, Jamie and... Scotsman, I don't remember, my notes are plaid for him, Um, that they go off and they find the hypnosis room with the uh, Cyberman gun and just that whole scene was cool. And then you've got the um, Victoria and others go into the other chamber that has the stasis pod that Victoria climbs into for some reason. And then gets trapped in there. It's like, why? Why would you do that? Clearly, you know it's a human-shaped thing. Don't climb into it. And then just watching the fun little battle between the doctor and the other archaeologist in trying to figure out this language to open up the lock and just pitting wits against each other And the doctor going, I'm far more superior. And the other one's like, no, 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 no. I am superior. And just super fun to watch that. I found the cyber rats to be cyber rats. And there, there was one point where it's Victoria and evil lady, whatever her name is. Kaftan. Kaftan. there, there's three cyber rats on the ground and they scream, we're surrounded. And it's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but... Victoria turns into a badass and Straight up shoots, shoots one of them. First shot, man. yeah. It's like, wow,
1: give her a gun more often, <laughs> right? <laughs> so anytime they find a gun, they should just hand it to Victoria.
0: <laughs> I did enjoy that beginning part because they like the like I said, the first two episodes you don't really get into the Cybermen part of it. Um, but yeah, the when they get there, and then the doctor being clever and um opening the door for them and then being like super cautious trying to like hold people back but he's really interested so he's like go it like for instance uh when he figures out the the actual combination and like how to run the the switches he's like oh if you do it this way it would work but i wouldn't suggest it you probably shouldn't do it and the guy's (laughs) like well yeah i'm gonna do it and then he does it and then everything turns on and then that's when victoria got stuck and all that shit yeah there's
1: some weird stuff so like It's awesome that, like, the Doctor's always got one up on this dude, um, Kleeg. Oh, yeah, that was his name. (laughs) In the credits on this fucking app, he's, like, the 19th person. He should be the 4th. So, yeah, it's funny that Kleeg's like, this logician who thinks that he's so smart, the Cybermen will have to do whatever he says, because he'll just logic them into submission. And the Doctor's just blowing him out of the water by figuring all this out. But I do want to say you know, there's this complicated algorithm to get the power turned on and, like, to get the shaft opened. And then when everyone's down in the pit and the Americans come in and Victoria's, like, trying to beg them to open up the shaft, they just lift up the panel and follow the wire. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yes, some good old just American
0: break everything figure <laughs> out how it works. Uh, also, his freaking like... I hated it, but I also kind of liked it on how, Cle- how secretive Cleeg and Kafton were to their actual plot, like what their plan was. It wasn't until like late to the third episode when they're like, and here's the exposition. Because like, man, it was annoying me a lot. But yeah, even after I heard, I was like, that's fucking stupid. <laughs> like, if you know what the Cybermen are, like, which it seems like they do, they know what they are, they know where to find them and stuff. Why would why would you think that would work? <laughs> you know, and so is Kleeg's plan just to destroy the world? I think he wants to run the world, like he wants to be the ruler of it. I th- I think if I'm getting it right,
2: that was kind of my understanding was their whole plan was to awaken the Cybermen, but then be their leaders and tell them what to do. Like, that's- yeah, but to what end? I don't know, for power, because they're a major source (laughs) of brutality. I don't know. To me, this entire cast was way too many different people. Like, you had the Americans who were working on the escape ship because it's broken. Then you've got the leaders of the whole thing that are just like, we want to leave. And then you've got the bad guys mixed in. And then you have the doctor's crew. And there's like four different groups of people in this thing and their names are all so weird. <laughs> it's like, I don't know who's who and what's what. And people are just dying left and right. <laughs> you only need to know two people. It's Klieg and Captain. And then, like,
1: Captain
0: Hooper. Is that the American guy? That's it.
1: Uh, Everyone else is just
0: there to die. Yeah, But there was, now that I'm thinking about it, there was the line where Klieg, uh when he was, like, going through his whole thing... He, he mentioned he wants to, like, rule the world and the stars. So, like, he was going to take the Cybermen and, like, build upon it and then be the ruler of the universe. Like, he had some really big, like, up-his-own-ass shit going on. And then Kaft- Kaftan was just like, yeah, I want my man to have everything. Or, I, like, I don't know, man. It was weird.
2: What was their relationship?
0: I think they were in like they were with each other, right? Um, The TARDIS wiki claims that they are colleagues. Oh, because I was getting like with the tomb, you get some like Egyptian kind of feels, and between those two, I was getting some like emperor empress type feels Mm. just in the story and what they were trying to do. But I think Captain was in love with Toberman. Like
1: he's her, he's her servant, but she's also like very reliant on him and is very upset when he's captured and when when all shit has gone down and like toberman's been released once cleague like gets the cyber gun and like kind of gains the upper hand again and wants to go down she is all about like make sure you save toberman like he's got to be up here so i I just got a feeling from watching them that she was just like into him (laughs) or like they're i mean i don't blame her their relationship is just more than Servant and boss. (laughs) All this says when I'm looking it up is Kleeg tells the Cybermen his plan. Well, what is the plan? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kleeg imagined himself as master of the world. And then the doctor says, just want to make sure that you were in fact mad and then enacts his plan to defeat Kleeg. League mocked them, telling them he would not kill them, but leave them to the Cybermen. As he talked, a Cyberman grabbed him from behind and beat him to death. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, you know, lots of fun shit going down. Um, you know, small set, but looks good. So we pretty much have like three rooms. I-, I like kind of the the hilarity of the captain having to come and being like, well, the ship's broken. So you definitely can't come back to the ship. Like you can't just come sleep there and wait till morning. You have to stay here in this creepy tomb and
0: like, just go outside and camp. Yeah, and start should a fire. have done that. But I liked his reasoning in that if there's people in the way, we're not gonna be able to fix it as fast, which I can get that. Like, especially a spaceship, it's like, kind of crazy. Can't they just go to
1: the ship just for like safety? Just like just, oh, outside, just outside of it? Outside. Yeah, yeah like why oh
0: let's stay in the cyberman tomb (laughs) yeah well i think the plan was to get as much information and learn as much as they could in the time it's being repaired but no matter what
1: expedition we're doing if at any point our means of escape is broken that is all i'm thinking about like (laughs) let's get that fixed
0: oh also to your point couldn't the doctor have just put everyone in the TARDIS and yes he could have <laughs> bring, bring him back many people did not need to die <laughs> yeah because there wasn't there wasn't a moment where the TARDIS was gone right like no they just had to walk back yeah that's right yeah.
1: but also like he knew Klieg had a plan and he wanted it to kind of play out because he knew he needed to stop Klieg yeah but he couldn't just confront him because then he would lose he needed to kind of let the situation play out a little bit until he could figure everything out and gain the upper hand and defeat him which did he really defeat him <laughs> did the doctor
0: do anything yeah it, he just put him back into stasis and then shut the door like he didn't even destroy the place right
1: yeah we I mean, didn't need to but i mean did he do anything to stop Cleek? like if the doctor hadn't been there would anything different have happened did he push a button that made the cybermen go back to sleep or did the cybermen do that on their own
0: i thought the doctor did that Oh yeah, I wrote down, fight in the crypt and Doctor freezes them. <laughs> uh, he also traps the Cyber Leader. Because the Cyber Leader like,
1: runs out of energy and he's like, oh, come into this thing and we'll boost your energy up. And then he just traps him in that,
2: that thing that Victoria got into. I was wondering about that, because he had a bigger head than all of the other Cybermen. Big brain. I was wondering, was did he have like a specific name that went with him? Like how you have the uh, lead Daleks and stuff like that, did he have something like that? Or is he well-known or anything? Or is he just happen to be the leader of this colony of Cybermen?
1: Uh, Cybermen stories in general tend to either have a cyber controller or a cyber leader. And those names might be interchangeable. In this case, it's cyber controller.
2: Okay. I do like that the Cybermen did use puzzles to find really smart people to awaken them and essentially then trap those people and turn them into Cybermen. I thought that was very ingenious on their parts.
0: Yeah, if, if if anyone or anything can figure out the logic to free or to thaw them, then it's worth coming out to destroy them and take them over and eat them. What what were the Cybermen trying to do with them? With what? With the people that let them out.
2: Well, just convert, convert
0: them. Oh, so they just needed to convert them to get their energy or where does their energy come from? Cuz that that was the whole thing with the cybermen is they were running out of energy. So that's why they went to stasis. So then what was the plan to get more energy? Just to get more people? <laughs> <laughs> or were they just going to pop out, convert them, go back into stasis, like just do that every millennia? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs>
1: yeah, Cyber Controller says we will convert you for your power.
0: And they half half converted Toberman. He had like a cyber arm, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and in the special features, that dude with the
1: cyber controller head, there he was so mad because he had to wear this special helmet where it was like bolted down. It had electronics running through it. It was supposed to be like pulsing, and it was supposed to like look really cool. And it was so uncomfortable and hot, and like he couldn't take it off by himself. And it was this big ordeal and like super claustrophobic. And then he watches the show and you cannot tell at all. Like all of all the stuff that it's doing inside the helmet just didn't show up on screen.
0: Oh, no. Feels bad, man. Uh, So let's get into
1: kind of individual bits. I think the in any of these stories that we're going to end up liking a lot, the guest cast has to be really good. And I think they were in this one.
0: Yeah, I I hated the bad guy, which is perfect. Yeah. I hated the bad girl, which is perfect. Yeah. I liked Toberman. He was great. Uh, yeah, we've pretty much just been talking about the three of them yeah, this whole time, yeah. so that's The 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 head uh expedition guy, like the the guy that run, ran it, the professor. The professor, he was good. He didn't have a whole lot to do, but I I heard someone else kind of
1: complaining about that in a podcast I was listening to this week. But, like, he's not the boss. He's the boss of the expedition. Mm -hmm. But as soon as they all start getting murdered by Cybermen who have come back to life, the expedition's over. (laughs) Like, there's nothing for him to do. Well, yeah. And so, you know, just a podcast I was listening to was saying, like, he's in charge. Why didn't he do anything? But he's, like, just so meek and a wimp. It's like, he's he he was supposed to, like, dust off bones for five hours.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was complaining about the, the other guy that was, like, really scared of everything. But to his credit, the first thing that happened when they got there is a, a man died on yeah. the on the door. And he's right like, away. okay, we need to leave. And no one cared. <laughs> no one cared. And he's just like, we need to leave. And I was annoyed by it, but it's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> well, then
1: as soon as they make it into the second room, after they managed to get the power on, another man dies. Peter Hayden is the the guy who gets shot. I know that because his character image is him getting shot. (laughs) But that actor is on the DVD and he's like, oh, it was so awesome because the next story starts with him laying on the ground. So he gets paid to be in two episodes, but all he's just laying on the ground in the first half a minute of the first one. And then you never see him again. It's like the
2: best job I ever had. Yeah, his character was really good. Like He was smart. He was going for it all. And then he died. (laughs) You know who wasn't being very smart?
1: jamie who's like pushing all these buttons and the doctor walks in and goes jamie don't push those and he goes i already did (laughs) (laughs) uh victoria gets some funny stuff in here too i can't i can't remember there's one joke that like everyone references that she makes but victoria gets to be pretty cool in this one which uh later let's talk about victoria so she does a lot of like you women stay here kind of thing so besides like climbing into that Cyberman like restoration chamber. She spends almost the entire time just in the lobby (laughs) of this tomb. But she is kind of driving the narrative of the story with whoever's in that room with her. And she's either fighting off Captain or telling everyone what to do to, like, you know, save whoever's trapped in the tomb. And besides, um. Fear from the deep, which we're going to talk about in a sec. I watched a couple other of her stories from this season, and she doesn't often get to do a whole
0: lot, <laughs> and so That's it was what nice. Wonder it like off of this one and the next one. How about Jamie? What do you think of Jamie in this one? Did he do much in this one? <laughs> I like, I'm trying to think of a scene where he was prevalent, he didn't like, well, he was just around
1: typical Jamie stuff, you know, go into a room, start pushing buttons, not knowing what's going on, and then. Anytime they're in danger, just start punching or threatening to punch. And so he's either stopped by a friend, being like, no, no, Jamie, wait, or stopped by that which he's trying to punch (laughs) and just beaten down. And there's like the one time there's like a little commotion and he just bolts and he's going to, he almost makes it up to the ladder and then the Cyberman grabs him. But you know, he's Jamie, he's brave and dumb.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what you need out of a Jamie, right?
2: For sure. I was just super excited because uh, this was my first introduction to Jamie. And Ooh. I was like, oh, my God, he's wearing a kilt. He's a <laughs> Scotsman. This is brilliant. And I just I was so excited about this character already. And yeah. just and- seeing him interacting <laughs> with Victoria and the doctor Uh was just great. Like he was a wonderful energy to have in that trio. And I'm pretty sure
1: that this is the only time ever where both the doctor's companions are from the past. There will be a time later when he only has one companion and she's also from the past, but not like this far. What do you think of our doctor Patrick Troughton?
2: Fun. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I had to think about it for a while. Um, I feel like he's got resting bitch face. Um, So to me right away, looking at him, I was like, Oh man, I'm going to hate this doctor so much, but he is like crazy grandpa attitude that like he will look angry, but he has like the weirdest ideas and is ready for anything. And that energy is just super fun to play off of. And, In reality, he's just a giant teddy bear that's really smart. Was this your first, second Doctor story? I think so. Ooh! Um, Before we
1: started doing this podcast, I used to say that the second Doctor is my favorite Doctor. Um, He's still he's still way up there, but as Alex and I have been going through classics, like I've grown large affinities for most of the Doctors. So he's he's up there, but if you were to make me choose my favorite he you know depending on the day he might not be number one
2: Hmm.
0: yeah i will say to your point uh the the rbf is strong with this one but once you learn his like that's his like he's seeing something weird and he's like figuring it out like that's his like i'm thinking face uh yeah but he's such a goof the way he he runs the scenes and uh like the props and stuff like even in uh fear from the deep it was animated but there was uh recovered shots of him holding the giant thing in the final scene and like he was pushing all the buttons and stuff and like just yeah. he's great
1: okay i think that's enough of, Tomb of the Cyberman*. i think it's safe to say we all liked it um there hasn't been a lot in the 60s i don't think that we haven't liked so i'm super stoked to keep going but also, kind of stoked to move on to the seventies, and sad that we will then have to move on to the
0: eighties. Yeah, because the seventies is just like a like a flash in the pan, and then it's real bad, right? Like, uh, how many years was oh shit? What's his name? James Bond, Doctor. How many years was he the Doctor? we <laughs> five? Oh wow, okay, that's more than I thought. Then, but only three companions. So mm. we won't be
1: doing this for very <laughs> long. Mm. <laughs> Tom Baker's seven years, more companions, but only one at a time until the end. And then all he has three, but they all end with Davison. Mm. Start with Tom Baker. Before we move on to Fear from the Deep, there are some fun facts I wanted to go through about Tomb of the Cybermen. Peter Bryant was the producer. We've been talking a little bit through these about who the producer was at the time. Um, this is because Ennis Lloyd is going to be leaving. And this was like a trial run. Just one story for him to produce. He was the script editor at the time. So someone else had to script edit. And that was his assistant, Victor Pemberton. Victor Pemberton actually script edited a couple of stories. But this is the only one that he's credited on. He hated it, and when his boss, uh Peter Bryant, became the producer four stories later, he left. He
0: hated Tomb of the Cybermen.
1: No, he hated being an editor. Oh, okay. He wanted to be a writer. Which gotcha. though the script editor does a lot of writing, but it wasn't like his style or yeah. how he wanted to do it. So Victor Pemberton well, we'll talk more about him in the next story because he wrote *Fear from the Deep*, so he wasn't just a one-off script editor. He did write for the show, so this is the only Cyberman story from the sixties to exist in its entirety. Like everything we've seen so far, had some animated episodes. Yeah, and the one we're watching for next week, I think has a couple of animated episodes. It was uh, I was listening. I was actually watching an interview with. Deborah Watling for this, because we're here to talk about Victoria. And she was doing the convention circuit in the 90s, and her era got a lot of new fervor from the fans because Tombless Cybermen was found in 1991. It had been missing up until then, and then it was found in a Chinese TV studio who had, like, licensed it and was showing it, and they had a film reel, like, completely intact and in good shape for Tombless Cybermen so it was believed to be one of the best ones by the fans and then they finally got it and they
0: got to release on video and all that wow man that's crazy like just like still the concept of like finding an episode just blows my mind <laughs> right because like i i've lived in a mostly internet age my whole life and just everything's recorded forever and well you don't watch a lot of 60s
1: television <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i don't <laughs> um but yeah the two other stories that have victoria that i watched this week i watched enemy of the world and web of fear those were both found in 2014 it's so like when i did my initial watch through of classic who they were missing and so there's so little second doctor stuff for me to watch might you know contribute to the fact that he's one of my favorites because there's just not enough time to get bored of him yeah But we got those stories. They're both six-parters, and they're both good. It is now time to talk about Fear from the Deep, written by Victor Pemberton. That script editor we just talked about. Directed by Hugh David. Aired March 16th to April 20th, 1968. Alex, out of 156 classic stories, where did this one fall? 145. (laughs) Ooh, I guess we know what Alex thought about this one. Terry, you got a guess? I will go with an 87. Uh, not even close. It's number 41. Now, this poll took place seven years before this DVD was released. So this is purely based on audio
2: and some photos. Oh, God. That'd be so hard to listen to this just for audio. <laughs> so I get
0: that ranking because um thinking about it right now if you were to ask me out of the two that we did for today I probably like Fury of the Deep more right now because I watched the the special features where they showed like you you said to watch like the stuff that was missing
1: yeah they have on the DVD there's about 4 minutes of like yeah. existing footage and some
0: people that had cameras behind the scenes while they were shooting yeah so Seeing that it was like, holy shit, this was a production. Like there was a lot of cool shit that happened that we just won't get to see ever, which sucks. But I also watched the um the not the documentary, but they had Jamie and the other guy, yeah, and the pilot for and the, the helicopter. pilot for the helicopter like come back together at the at location. and that other guy, I think was the um line producer, okay and they were just hanging out and like reminiscing and just that 35 minute thing that they did was super cool and it just made me like this story more yeah but with the animation like i could see it being 40 something like if i saw it live and it was awesome like that would be mm-hmm. super dope but and 25 minutes at a time <laughs> right yes yeah we had i watched it all at once um but yeah when
1: you see animated a helicopter flying but like not flying quite right because the doctor's flying it and he doesn't know how to fly a helicopter versus an actual man who is a professional helicopter pilot purposely wobbling to make it look like he doesn't know what he's doing like that's cool and exciting that would have been sick to see or like an animated helicopter flying under a bridge in between two radio stations yep uh, versus a man actually doing it yeah and on that dvd the producer being like man i can't believe you did that look how close these are he's like that's not that close (laughs) they're like this is so dangerous like not dangerous and then it like cuts to him talking to the camera later and he goes if it was dangerous i wouldn't have done it (laughs) it's like he's like this is easily 30 feet uh helicopter blades are 24 feet there's plenty of space (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like that is not plenty of space dude
0: yeah and i think it it would have like made this episode shine a lot more whereas I'm, I'm wondering if in the animation that's where it kind of downfalls because when you see something fantastical that's animated 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 <laughs> put the wrong emphasis on the wrong level <laughs> it, you're just like oh it's animation like it's not as impressive whereas right. if you see it like the set they showed the set and like the dude in the monster suit was just wailing about <laughs> with all the suds and like drowning because they're drowning in suds. Out of that yeah like that would have been amazing to just see on on film, like live action people yeah. doing that. And ah, oh, yeah, it quickly became like the one. It
1: made it, it quickly became the one that I would like to be found next. Yes, you know, everyone and their mom wants Marco Polo, a first Doctor story, because they think it's like the most exciting and would be the best one to be able to watch. But for me, it's this one. Like this
0: would be so cool to be able to see. Yeah. what it looked like. Just that. Um... There was some guy they showed in the special features it was like eight millimeter filming. He was just doing behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. And just the pans of like this, the, the set work that they had a yeah, great set, like the doctor being goofy, like putting suds on people's faces and stuff like, <laughs> it would just be so cool to see this episode.
1: Okay. So I guess we should talk about the story a little bit. Maybe we shouldn't, maybe this is how we should do it from now on. Just talk about the special features on the DVDs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Because we definitely talked about Tomb of the Cybermen for way too long. These these podcasts are not supposed to be over an hour long. Um, Fury from the Deep. Terry and I watched it together. After the first two episodes, we turned it off for a week. (laughs) Like, we were not... Like, those first two episodes are a slog. Even episode three is kind of like, all right, come on, let's get to it. But the last three episodes are... Really fun and exciting. And I, it did that and seeing what it actually looked like IRL did make me really excited for this story and probably pumped it up a little bit, in my opinion. You know, versus if you had asked me after the first three episodes, (laughs) I'd have been like,
0: I, yeah, bottom. Yeah. I think, I think the last ones were, the last episodes were a lot better than the first few because you actually had a monster and it was like a battle. It was like the doctor was figuring out and he was going to fight them. Whereas in the first two to three episodes, it was just like a slow ass mystery. And they're like convicts the whole time. Like no one's listening to them. Well, that fucking commander, dude, he was pissing me (laughs) off. I just had a problem with people in charge in these two episodes.
2: Well, that guy. I don't remember his name. I swear his volume was nothing but cap locks. Like he was just screaming the entire time. I was like, oh, my God, if anyone was to be captured and killed by these creatures, it would it should be him. It should be him. And I was so happy when he was finally attacked in his quarters. I was like, yay, he's done. (laughs) Fuck that dude. What is a volume being a catwalk? He said caps, locks. lock
1: caps.
0: He <laughs> <I used to laughs> like said catwalk.
2: You know a catwalk.
0: What? Well, it's like, <laughs> do you mean catterwall? Like he was screaming <laughs> time? No, he he meant fabulous and <laughs> in great clothing,
2: yeah. attitude for days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he meant working it. Uh yeah. I
1: Hold on, I'm put, find that guy's name.
0: Robson. Robson, yeah. Mm that fucking guy and if you see the actual guy the animation pretty good yeah. yeah except the animation didn't ever change from the one expression he was always just grimacing <laughs> angry
2: snarl.
0: whereas in like the two second clip of the live action it was that grimace but it like it was still an actor <laughs> right and you know me
1: i don't love these like these stories where there's a group of people and there's like an internal power struggle while we're trying to solve the monster. Because it's like, we don't need that part. I don't give a shit which one of them is in charge. But this one, I kind of didn't care about that part. Like, I mean, it didn't bother me. Um, well, there really wasn't a power struggle. Like, that scientist guy still deferred. Right. Yeah. But
0: then when Dutch guy showed up, oh, who was yeah. like, the money? I don't know what he was. He was... he. It seemed like he was a third party um quality guy like he was supposed <laughs> to walk around and tell them that they're doing things wrong third party outside of the company like uh like you hire like an inspection an... like osha
1: but then megan jones shows up who like really is like a government official yes and she's like immediately takes charge of everything yeah and she, she she
0: was dope he she assigned him that post so is it is this a government agency it must be, right? Well, I mean, all utilities in
1: America, outside of Texas, apparently, which is <laughs> making them freeze to death right now. All Still? Uti- all utilities yeah. are regulated by the government. So, like, I work for a utility company. If we want to change even our prices, like, we have to go to the government and ask if it's okay. Hmm. And tell them why.
2: But didn't Robinson say Robson. that... Robinson, Robson, sorry. Robson say that... He built this company like I thought he said something about like, this is my company. I made this company.
1: Well, this particular flow of natural gas from the sea was newly discovered in oh, reality. OK, so this would be. I don't know what year this takes place or I think it takes place um, contemporarily. So I think it's 1968. Yep.
0: Yeah, but he mentioned several times like I spent four years on a rig like yeah. Was that the same rig? Yeah, four years is new. <laughs> what? No. <Yeah>. Four, no. <laughs> Most people work at jobs for more than
1: four years.
0: Yeah, but when you're there after the second year, you're like, yeah, I just got a new job. Like, <laughs> no, I, you've, you've been working there for two years. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he like started on
1: the rig and then got promoted. And ever since he's been in charge, it's been going really well. And that's why they're so reluctant to like. Right. To not. To not let him do what he
0: wants because everything's going great what i was saying is he mentioned he was on a rig or d- didn't see land for one stretch for four years which insinuates that he had other times when he would go to land and go back to the rig and like keep working yeah but then also how long was he commander of this particular thing okay so is this like six, seven years into this career that he's been here. So it's not new, is what I'm saying. Six, seven years is new. No, it's not. Yes, new it to is. what? What are you talking about?
1: New to like existing natural gas flows that we know about.
2: That's true. Mm, no, I... <laughs> Compared
1: to like... We're not discovering new natural gas flows. There's
0: a reason we need yeah, to Yeah, but away if you discover something gas. and seven years later, like, yeah, the new one on Belmont. It's like, what? No, that's not new. We know about that. We've known about it for seven years. But also, <laughs> if it was new... Like, 10 years old. Like,
1: a whole town would have been created around this area because of new jobs and everything. So it still would have been a huge deal and a huge talking point. So to make a script about it would have been interesting because it would be something that is, like, on the national consciousness.
2: I would just like to bring up a shocking thing. Um, At the end of the third episode... Of just watching the doctor's wife walk into the ocean. And just like, did (laughs) she die?
1: (laughs) We were going nuts when that happened. (laughs) And then in the special features, they talked to that lady. She just had to do that. Yeah. And she, like, they didn't realize that it was low tide or high tide or whatever. And so she just kept, she was like 100 meters out and the water is up to her shins. And so she's like, fuck, how far do I have to go? And it's freezing. And she just keeps going and keeps going until she's underwater. And they're, like, begging her, like, drop to your knees, you fucking idiots. (laughs) But no, like, she's out there by herself, and then she has to come back. God. Also, we were talking about the animation and how Robson looks like Robson. Like, kind of looks like that actor. Um, The animation for her, um, Harris's wife, Maggie, the animation for her does not do her justice at all. Because you see her on the DVD. She is beautiful. <laughs> and in the DVD, she's like seven years old. Still so good looking. <laughs> and met her husband on this. Um, The dude who played Megan Jones's assistant, whose name I don't have in front of me. She met
0: on the show and they're married and remain married. This was... So this is Victoria's last episode. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed in this story that the tardis team so the doctor jamie and victoria were just goofy with each other like they were gelling yeah. really good on screen and it was really cool to watch that just throughout all the episodes like in the first one they had that foam party which apparently wasn't scripted right which they attack her with foam that was great
1: <laughs> yeah in the in deborah Watling's Mythmakers and in every fraser Hines fraser Hines interview he talks about it too you know, they they both tell the story a little differently, but, um, you know, she, they were all supposed to, like, go up to the foam. But because they'd come in off of that little dinghy, she was already a little wet. And she's wearing a mini skirt and these tiny little shoes with no socks. She's fucking freezing. So she just tells them, like, you guys go in the foam. I'm going to stand here where I'm just barely still in the frame of the camera, but as far away as I can be. While still being seen by the lens, and I just I just don't want to be any more wet. I'm fucking freezing. I'll say, Doctor, what is it? I'll say all the shit I'm supposed to say, and then Fraser Hines and Patrick Trouton go in there. They're playing with the foam a little bit, having a little wrestle, and then they both stop, stare at each other, and then look at her, and she's just like, "Fuck!" <laughs> and then <laughs> and then of course, so then they they grab her and throw her in and start you know assaulting her, and then according to her a crowd had gathered because they knew doctor who was shooting and so this whole scene ends and the director yells cut and he goes that was awesome it was completely unscripted he goes but someone back there started laughing in the crowd so we need to do it again (laughs) so they're like somebody grab a towel you know uh (laughs) just rub down debbie get her as dry as you can and let's take it again
0: and she's just miserable oh i can't and they're on a beach i can't imagine just (laughs) sand being all over because they're rolling around well i'm sure the sand's rock hard because it's like november oh yeah i suppose yeah super cold
1: (laughs) but i do love how you know they bring the tardis into land on the water which was a cool shot and they hire that pilot specifically for that and then they're just like this dude's awesome let's get him to do all his other stuff and then they're like partying with him in the no- in the hotel room and he's yeah. like ripping chandeliers off the ceiling yeah. <laughs> and just just being a fucking monster
0: well and they they talked about his like party trick where he would just eat a glass yeah like <laughs> oh.
1: but again when he's like you know someone brings that up and then he it cuts to him talking straight to the camera and he's like oh no it's fine you just You bite it and you pull so it doesn't cut you and then you just chew it into a fine powder and then uh, you swallow it. It's like, I, you know, at this point he's like 75 years old and he's like, it's fine. It's not dangerous at all. (laughs) just like this guy thinks
2: everything is fine (laughs) all the time. So what do you guys think of Killer Seaweed as the bad guy for this whole story?
1: Can I tell you what TARDIS Wiki calls the bad guy? Sure. Weed creature
0: all right (laughs) i i think the foam was actually scarier than the actual seaweed but in the animation it was mainly the foam anyway but in what we saw in the special features i think that would have been a really cool creature to see animated Mm -hmm. the way that they did it you know what i mean Mm -hmm.
1: well then there's those two laurel and hardy guys that were creepy as fuck
0: oh god yeah yeah the the rapists (laughs) (laughs)
2: his teeth they
0: when they walked in i was like oh no yeah
1: it's a different connotation when a woman's in her bedroom and two dudes who like came to fix the stove in quotation marks and she's just like like, because you hear that story like someone like knocking on a house and being like oh we're here to do this and she's like i didn't hire you so oh your husband
0: did oh okay and then he just let him in creep phil yeah it was creepy but those actors, they, they showed the live action of that scene where they open their mouths and blow the thing. That was super creepy as well. Mm-hmm. They were just, Ugh. yeah.
2: I thought, yeah, when Robson and Maggie, uh, when they're both controlled by the seaweed as well, they have like it growing off of their skin and their hands. That, like, animation wise, looked pretty cool. But the live action version was. Like just so creepy looking and just yeah with it acting, like coming out of his sleeve yeah like oh that would be so scratchy and <laughs> uncomfortable just thinking of it from the actor's point of view that'd be so uncomfortable
1: one thing i want to mention about this story is that it was adapted from a story that victor pemberton had written for the radio as like a radio play It was called Slide, and it was about sentient mud. And I do think it kind of comes through, if you pay attention to the story, that it wasn't originally intended to have the Doctor and crew in it. Because a lot of this story, the Doctor, Jamie, and Victoria are apart from everyone else. Like, they spend a whole episode at um, Homeboy's house
2: maggie's house
1: right what's the last name oh if only i had the cast list in my hand harris um yeah at the harris's house they spend another whole episode back at the tardis doing experiments and a lot of the time in the base just like walking through tunnels and corridors by themselves so i think the story was essentially left alone from the point of view of this side characters and the side characters by Dr. Who standards, but the main characters of this story, you know, our crew, the TARDIS crew are the side characters here. And apart from figuring out the very end that Victoria's screaming is the way to beat them, they don't do a whole lot. It kind of feels like, harris is the the protagonist of the story and you know discovering everything would have been done through him through him finally snapping after his wife is taken
2: yes
0: i was surprised at how well harris kept it together after it was revealed that his wife was actually taken because like when she (laughs) was just sick he was melting down like he's like, I need to go to my wife. She's sick. You see, like, <laughs> I
1: I feel like, and maybe this didn't actually happen. I feel like there's one part where he's talking to someone, and they bring up his wife, and he's like, "Yes, yes, she's probably dead," <laughs> and just like <laughs> immediately
2: moves on. Yeah,
0: which is very different from like she has a cuff. I need to go to her bedside.
2: <laughs> it's just way different. Uh, speaking of that episode, when the doctor and friends. Our, sorry, companions. The Doctor and the companions are doing all of the science experiments on the seaweed. I really enjoyed that. Like, it's not relying on the Doctor and his sonic screwdriver to figure everything out. Though, does he have a sonic screwdriver? Are we way too early for this? It, he uses it in this story. It's the oh, first that's right, because <laughs> he opens the pipe with it. This is the Yeah. I yeah. yeah, so um, it
1: wasn't created by the writer, the writer just had him take out a screwdriver, but it's that dude that was in the DVD thing, the line producer, I think, who was just like, well, what if he just used something cooler? Like, uh and he suggested a sonic device. And so he initially gave him a pen light and he was going to use that, but then Patrick Troughton dropped it down a pipe. <laughs> and so they used a, oh, like a, safety whistle from deborah watling's life jacket <laughs> as the first ever sonic screwdriver
2: yeah i i truly liked the idea that they were just doing chemistry on their own and discovering what this seaweed was
1: yeah we always like to point those out the first doctor did it a couple times where it's like trying to discover a cure at one point
0: and another time um also discovered a cure <laughs> i can't remember <laughs> probably <laughs> what what was victoria in her time like what did she do for a living or for, <laughs> for a living for a leisure? she's 14 years old in the story
2: so uh, that's marrying age <laughs> so why
0: yeah why is she <laughs> well yeah but why is she doing chemistry like does she know chemistry in victorian age she was as a 14
1: year old <laughs> she is from like the upper class the aristocracy but she, well, I mean, we're going to talk about her in a bit.
0: And then what was Jamie? <laughs> Jamie's a, essentially a caveman. <laughs> so how can they do chemistry on these damn seaweeds? I don't get that part well, of the, the story. the doctor was doing it, not them. Oh, I thought they were doing it.
2: Well, they were helping. Well,
1: I'm sure he said, the doctor's like, hey, pour that into that. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, All right. They I can, can read.
2: That. I mean, that would definitely be Jamie's job of, I will pour this liquid into this thing, but uh victoria was using the microscope and everything and going like look at this look at what is here so i feel like she has a better grasp of knowledge than jamie doesn't matter we're taking too long here <laughs>
1: getting in the weeds here a bit pun intended since we're here to talk about her what did you think of victoria in the story and then just in general leaving out the end, and then we'll talk about
0: the end after she didn't have much to do in this one <laughs> no she did not all she did was scream which i thought was annoying and why is screaming like specifically her just screaming because plenty of other people scream and it doesn't stop it why is it just her screaming the like the fix and he has a sonic screwdriver now why couldn't he just sonic him like like they do nowadays <laughs> Because they didn't think of having the sonic screwdriver just do whatever the fuck they wanted.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They literally
2: unscrewed screws. Uh, I would agree with Alex. She did not do much in this episode other than play Damsel in Distress and scream her head off. Which, when they used her scream against the seaweed, I was very glad it was, like, mixed with other sounds and not just her screaming (laughs) the entire time. Well, one... Deborah Watling,
1: great scream. Uh he, even on the DVD or on her Mythmaker, she exhibits that. She still had it in the 90s anyway. Uh, fun fact, when it came time to do the scream, she had a cold and couldn't scream. So it was that lady that's in the on the DVD. Um she was the assistant um floor manager for the show, and so she's the one screaming because they just needed a
2: woman. <laughs> I would I had a lot of hope for her actually in the beginning of this whole story. Like right away she uses a hairpin to open a lock. I was like, "My god, this girl has skill. Like she is she's going to do really well." But she she finds herself in a lot of precarious things like she ends up leaving the bunker on her own and finding the oxygen room where she's first attacked by the seaweed which apparently hates pure oxygen as well. Like the seaweed has a lot of weaknesses. She kind of just ends up in the wrong spot. Every time she's like the Daphne of the Scooby-Doo crew. <laughs> she doesn't do much, but she's just there for pretty.
1: All right. We're going way too long. Um, Let's talk about her leaving. Um, You know, at first I was concerned that like for the second time in a row, we pick someone's last story and they're not really in it very much. Like, Ben and Polly are in the six-parter, um, the faceless ones. That's their last story. But they leave in the second episode. Oh, no. <laughs> and so we did that as a Ben and Polly episode, and they're not fucking in it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was, I was kind of worried that she's not in this very much. But she does get a... She does get a unique ending in that... Well, first of all, it's by choice, which not everyone gets. But it's part of like a year long journey that you do see. If you watch all these stories, like when she first comes in the TARDIS, she's not scared. Like she's not like just constantly fearful and screaming. It's this year from hell of going to all these bases and having all these monsters chase them where she's just like, fuck this. (laughs) Like I'm just scared all the time and I don't want to do this anymore. Um, there is also the irresponsibility of leaving someone 120 years in their future <laughs> or whatever it ends up being. But it
0: is not okay. Is it better to leave someone in their future or in their past? Because if in the if you're if they're in their past, they could influence things because they know what's coming.
1: Yeah, but also she's 14. If, I think it's okay if they're like seven or eight to be like, you live with these people now mm. and they're going to be your parents and you'll just learn the world. Like maybe the first couple months in school are going to be tough, but you'll figure it out. If you're like 14, 15 and it's like, oh, now you live in a place with cars and airplanes and computers kind of and television and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you had a year of traveling with the doctor, but now you have to like live a life. And there's also, like, I got a little weirded out by, like, this couple just, like, taking this, like, 14-year-old girl
0: and being like, (laughs) you live with us now. (laughs) Family. (laughs) I I thought her, uh, like, goodbye scene with Jamie on the porch was really sweet. Yeah. Um, It kind of showed off how much Jamie cared for her. Like, almost like i wrote down did they fuck (laughs) like i thought like that scene kind of portrayed like act like love like they Mm -hmm. like Uh, jamie did not want her to leave right
1: and in everything i've looked at read or listened to um it kind of seems that it's like 50 50 where it's like jamie's playing this big brother role but half the time it kind of seems like they're like a budding romance I do think it's very possible that Fraser Hines was a little bit in love with Deborah Watling.
0: Oh, yeah. Which,
1: why wouldn't she be? Uh, yeah. So, you know, they both do claim that there wasn't a lot of acting going on in that scene. They were both sad that it was ending. So, yeah, good scene. Good, uh, good, goodbye for a companion. Let's make that a wrap on Fury from the Deep. Let's then talk about Victoria in general. Uh, Victoria Waterfield. She was in, I want to say seven stories, to which we will have now seen. Or no, this is only, we only watched two, right? We haven't watched anything else she was in before. So it's kind of tough to get a lot on the character based on the two stories we've seen. Also, her Mythmakers interview, she doesn't really talk a lot about the character of Victoria. She kind of just says, you know, the character's there like she's her growth is created through the stories. She also says that she wanted the character to not be just the screaming damsel, which is not how it came off because <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much all she is. Um it's kind of a bummer she wasn't she, she wasn't the most exciting character, but Deborah Watling in all of the different interviews and they they have three different interviews with her in this mythmakers one from like the mid 80s and then a couple from the the 90s um she just anytime they ask her about a story all she talks about is like what prank fraser and patrick played on her that day (laughs) (laughs) like she very very rarely actually talks about the story at all except for the one that has her dad in it which you guys haven't seen so don't worry about it so victoria what do you got I know we've talked about her quite a bit already.
0: Yeah, I I think they could have utilized her a little bit better. In I guess in the two episodes we watched, she was strictly a damsel in distress, like getting a shift on.
1: I think a little less so in tomb. I think she she had quite a lot to do.
0: Yeah. But she wasn't like down in the shit, like doing stuff. Or right,
1: but oh. they're trying to tell a multi, literally multi-level story, yeah, <laughs>
0: multi-layered yeah, yeah. story, and so they need someone up there to deal with. Yeah. But I I will say I did like her better on-screen live action than animated. I don't think the animated really brought forth like her performance well No, in Fury, so I got to say I did like Tomb better because I could see her and she was great. Mm-hmm.
2: I would agree with that. She definitely brought more education to this character than I've seen in past female companions. Um and she definitely was utilized a lot more in episode these two episodes than other female companions in that they like, here's your coffee. Bye. And then just be out of the scenes forever until the end. Like she like in sorry, the first one, she was a driving force of the plot point in the top and just keeping that energy going. And then in this one, she was like the key component to solving this whole thing and also just bringing the monster to everyone's view. So she was playing major roles in all of these stories. It's just sad that she didn't have more character growth at all with any of it, I think, but that also might've been because her character was so young and new to all of this that she just didn't have anything to learn and build off of.
1: Yeah. Um, I was, I was a little bummed when watching the extras on *Fury from the deep that she's not on them because she was on the special features for Tomb of the Cyberman* And she was great. And one of the very few interviews I've seen with her where she was quite old. Um, everything I've seen, she's kind of like in her forties or fifties. But the reason she wasn't on the Fear From the Deep DVD is because she passed away 2017. I didn't know that. And I was super bummed. The actress, Deborah Watling, she did well for herself. Um, she actually says right after Doctor Who, it kind of dried up for her for five months. So she opened a boutique store. Mm-hmm. Like you listen to actors and they're like, oh, after this, I didn't work for two years. But she's like, five months, I'm opening a store. <laughs> and uh but she got another show kind of right after that. I think she did like 63 episodes on or something. So she was working. And her IMDb is pretty full through the rest of the 60s and the 70s. And then not so much. But she did a lot of stage work. So she was a working actor for most of her life. Get a shift on. For her. So out of the... Because we kind of have like two, car- two categories of companions so far. We have like the adult women who are... Barbara and Polly. That's it. We've got the Punchy Boys in Ian, Ben, and Jamie. Kind of Steven, but not so much. Steven was kind of punchy with a mix of adult woman. And then we've got...
0: If
1: you could see him, <laughs> <laughs> no, not not because of how he looks, but because of the stories that were written. They were written for Ian and Barbara a lot of the time, yeah. And then it was his lines, and he, he had to triumph. share. Yeah, he oh. had he had to like take some dialogue for a character that didn't exist anymore, and l- let himself be captured without a fight because he's even though he's like six five, just fucking ripped, <laughs> like just huge dude. He's like, oh, take me away, um. And then the third category is the teenage girl, which this is pre- This is it now. We, we're not going to have a teenage girl on the show again. Um, and, you know, kind of the categories of companions that we get will change. But in the 60s, they do seem to fall into those three categories. And so after um, Victoria, we're going to get Zoe, who's... A little older she's an adult she's smart she's like a mathematician and from the future so her and jamie kind of butt heads in that they're very different so out out of the teenage girls companion so far how do you how would you rank uh
0: victoria compared to vicky and susan i think i would put victoria uh number two out of the three yeah, Vicky's number one. Susan is great, but she didn't like the reason she left is because she wasn't fully utilized. that's the reason all of them left. Yeah. Oh, I forgot Dodo. Dodo falls into the girl category. Oh,
1: shit. Even though I don't think she's a teenager, she's not a woman. <laughs> that's so mean. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Put your phone on the floor or in your pocket. We're having to lean, Jake. There's a lot of movement over here.
1: <laughs> like, what do you think's going to happen if you just set it on your leg? It's I'm gonna kidding, fall over. It
0: shouldn't, though. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Uh, Dodo, what... Remind me again, what episodes is Dodo in? Dodo was in
1: the arc, she had a cold and killed everyone with it. And then in the gunfighters, she gets taken by doc holiday and then in the war machines she just goes out to the country to go to sleep and never goes
0: back that's right
1: so yeah question still stands Uh dodo vicky susan victoria i think victoria's second Yeah, Victoria's second. Vicky,
0: Victoria. Vicky,
1: Victoria. And then Dodo and Susan can
0: burn in hell. Well, I was going to (laughs) say Susan only because she was the first one and then Dodo. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. Man.
1: Kind of... They just can't get this young girl character right. And I think they got really close with Vicky. Like, why not continue going in that direction? So
0: they could have had something really good with Susan because she was Time Lord, she was super smart, she could have been super utility, young, female strong character. hmm But then they fucked it.
2: <laughs> yeah, they did. Right.
0: So they
1: stopped writing it that way, she kept playing it that way, so we don't get, like, the fun lightness of a character like Vicky, because the actor, Carol Ann Ford, is thinking in her mind she's supposed to be playing this weird girl, that the writers quit writing after the first episode of the first story. And so she's like, well, fuck them. I'm just going to keep doing it. (laughs) And it sucked. And then, you know, Vicky, Vicky got a lot of the same kinds of stuff to do a little bit different. Once Ian and Barbara left and she got pushed to the fore a little bit more, but because she didn't have this anchor around her of this otherworldly character, she could just be likable, (laughs) which is nice. When you're playing a character on television, and bringing it back to Victoria, I think she is likable in her relationships with the other two characters, and I think that's what people think of when they think of Victoria. The speech she has with the Doctor in Tomb of the Cybermen, or the conversations—not speech—where you know she's still super bummed because literally this is the first story after her dad died, like saving everybody from the from the Daleks and so she's super bummed we get that awesome line from the doctor that's you know referenced in Jodie Whittaker's first story about like I keep them in my mind or you know talking about his family and uh her and you brought up like the kind of jokiness and playfulness between her and Jamie yeah like that's the exciting part about this character we haven't really apart from like the romans where ian and barbara definitely fucked we have we don't have kind of like this familial bond between two characters and maybe familial is not the right word maybe just like
0: friendly i don't know what you would say yeah i kind of get what you're saying but i mean the doctor and susan literally had a familial bond but but i I don't think it appears that way on screen yeah I, I think it kind <clears> of <throat> does from the doctor perspective, but it didn't like as like just chewing her out.
1: Like, that's the only time. like in So our friends over at the Companion Peace podcast, they were asking just the other day or by the time this comes out four months ago about uh, Caroline Ford or Susan, because that's going to be their first episode. And. I pointed out in a tweet I sent to them that you can see in the Dalek movies with young Susan like the way they portrayed her in those movies, how it could have been. And we've talked about this on this podcast before. Yeah. That like that, those two young Susan and the doctor in those movies, she feels like she grew up in a house that he lived in. Like they, they feel like he helped raise her along with her parents or whatever their situation is. And I I don't think Susan feels like that at all with um, William Hartnell's doctor.
0: Yeah.
1: Anyway, I think that's enough about Victoria. This podcast is way too long. <laughs> it
0: was, what,
1: how many episodes? Six,
0: ten, ten, episodes ten episodes long?
1: <laughs> anyway, so what are we going to do next week? Well, <laughs> let me answer that for you. Okay, so next week we're going to do our episode on Zoe. By week, I mean next time. <laughs> I don't know how long it'll be. <laughs> so for Zoe. She comes in on a story that doesn't exist, which I can't remember the name of off the top of my head. Her final story is the same as Jamie's final story. So we're going to save it for Jamie. So that left four stories left. So I put them on Twitter, asked our Twitter friends which one we should watch. It was a resounding landslide for the invasion. It is a Cyberman story. It's also eight episodes long.
2: Oh, so it better we're be only, exciting.
1: So we're only we're doing... Only that? doing the invasion. Okay. I'm fine <laughs> with that. Yes. um, We've also... We've seen Zoe before, Alex, in... The Time Meddler. Not the Time Meddler. What's the one when they go to the land of fantasy? Oh, wasn't that like the Mind... The Mind Robber.
0: Robber? Yeah. yeah.
1: So we've seen Zoe before in the Mind Robber. We only had four other stories that both existed and we haven't seen or aren't the war games. So we're watching the invasion, um, eight parts, Jamie and Zoe, and the second doctor. Boom. Um uh, do you have an MVP for any, either of the stories?
0: <laughs> Fuck it, who cares? Song. What <laughs> like I was thinking uh, this has been Brothers of Who, our episode on Victoria.
1: Uh, go listen to our regular feed, Married to Who, where we're just going through Jody Whitaker's first season, season 11. By the time you listen to this, we might even be done with season 12. I don't know. I'm uh, half myself, Jake, my brother Alex, and our producer Terry. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time as we have a chat about Zoe. <laughs>